The following audio is from Midtown Fellowship in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in becoming a part of our extended family, visit midtowncolumbia.com slash partner. Glad to be with you this morning. We're looking, we've, we just started about a month ago, uh, our personal liturgy series. And uh, for the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at apathy. We've been looking at the ways that apathy affects and, and hurts our relationship with God. And um, it hinders us from living the, the life that, that God designed for us to live in Christ. So today, we're going to be turning a corner. We're going to be looking at another uh, spiritual enemy. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about what does it look like for us to fight distraction, the enemy of distraction. And specifically for today, I want to talk about distraction through technology. Technology meaning TV, technology meaning our phone, so anything with a screen, but also technology like music and the ability to listen to any music I want to without having to have a band playing in front of me. So we're talking about uh, technology. My guess is this, this will apply to all of us somewhat. For, for, for some of us, it might not apply as much, so I'm aware of that. <clears throat> And we've been, uh, we've been using our personal liturgy app. Everybody have the app? Ever, ever having good, good experiences with the app? I had, to, I had to delete the app from my phone because it was a little too distracting, ironically. Uh, so I signed up for the emails. And emails was a much better experience for me. So if you're, if you're someone who's like, ah, the app's not great, emails are another option uh, that you can sign up. We've got personalliturgy.com. I think we have like 30 websites that you can just type in and find some kind of a Midtown website. Personalliturgy.com is one of those 30 websites. Um, but in the app and in, in, through, our, through our email devotion, through our, uh, the journaling, we've got a challenge this week. And this week's challenge is that we're, we're, we're going to go one hour completely tech-free. One hour each day completely tech-free. So that's, that's no TV, no phone. No video games, no radio or iPod, no Spotify. <laughs> We're going to intentionally redirect that time towards God and towards other people. Now, for some of you, you might be saying, I already have an intentional time that's an hour every day. I already have an intentional time that's 30 minutes. We're asking to do an additional hour than what we're currently doing. So for some of us, if you like me, you don't really have much time away from, away from technology, so that's an hour. But if you've already got that in your rhythm, then we're asking uh, the challenge this week is to, is to invest an extra hour away from technology and into God and into his words. <clears throat> so earlier when I said that distraction being a, a spiritual enemy of us, I know that might sound dramatic. Our, our connotation with uh, distraction uh, is sure... Certainly negative, but an enemy. Uh, for example, if one of my friends, I don't know, hypothetically, uh, were to ask me to bring him a book that I've got at home, and I get to life group the next week, and I've forgotten it, that's not dangerous. That's not a spiritual enemy. That's becoming distracted, which leads me to feel forgetful or be forgetful. It does let my friend know that I'm not as dependable as he thought I was, but better that he learns that now than later. Um, but spiritually speaking, we're looking at distraction being 
uh, being very dangerous. And, and the, reason, uh, the reason is, is because of who it distracts us from. So I want to start with a definition. Here's our definition of distraction. And that's being unable to focus on God and others because your attention is taken by less important things. Distraction meaning uh, being unable to focus on God and others because your attention is taken by less important things. That word unable, this isn't like a choice thing that we're making. Distraction is that we're unable to focus because our attention is taken up. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians 3.18. We'll be looking at 2 Corinthians 3.18 today uh, through, through what the Apostle Paul has to teach us. And again, I want to <clears throat> clarify, I'm not talking about this state of just kind of like feeling like my head's in the clouds, like, I mean, that's kind of me every single day. Uh, it's pretty, <laughs> we joked about this at teaching team at like, why am I teaching this distraction sermon? I can't focus on it. Um, this is not the idea of I'm multitasking when I've got so much stuff going on that I can't focus on one thing. We're primarily talking about distraction as our our tendency to put our attention, put our focus on lesser things, our tendency to, to not be able to focus on God because I'm, I've got so much other stuff filling my life. And this can have a profound long-term negative impact. So 2 Corinthians 3.18, this is God's word. And he says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for your word and I, and I thank you for the way that your word speaks to us even um, in the year 2018. Father, I thank you that you're gracious and kind to give us your word and, and that we can, we can look at how, how does it affect the way that we live with technology? How does it... How does it affect the way, what, is it, what does it cause us to do differently in 21st century American culture? Holy Spirit, I, I confess that uh, unless you come and teach us, uh, this time doesn't avail us anything. And so Spirit, we pray that you would be with us and that you would point us to Christ. And it's in his name that I pray, amen. So... <clears throat> couple of words, a couple of phrases that are potentially confusing in the scripture, so I want to I kind of uh, look at it real quick. The idea that Paul is saying is that we, as we behold the glory of God, as we are beholding the glory of God, we are transformed. We're being changed. We don't behold God in his glory and leave the same. Something happens there. It's slow, it's gradual, it happens over time. And so this idea of beholding, and I kind of want to look at what is beholding versus what is glory. I'm going to use these words, uh, but I just want to make sure that we've got a, a clear picture in our minds of what it is. Beholding is this idea of, of seeing and observing, but it's, it's not just seeing it disconnected from yourself. It's beholding something is, is observing it and taking it in. It's something that affects you. You, you take notice of it. Uh, yesterday, I was at a basketball game. 
And because I have an affinity for the Gamecocks, when they would score, I would not just see them score, but I would, I would feel it. it. It was great. And when we beat number 10 Auburn, it felt great. I could feel it. It affected me, right? That's, that's a, a tiny picture of, of what we see here. And talking about glory, we see a magnificence. We see great beauty. So beholding glory is, is probably not a phrase that we would use most of the time in our day-to-day conversations. Uh, after a good meal with friends, if you, if you say, man, I'm just, I'm just beholding how great that steak was. It's like, why are you talking like that? What are you on right now? But even though we don't use those words, we are hardwired. We are created to behold glory. We love to admire and talk about and look at things and think about things that are amazing, that are magnificent, that are bigger than ourselves. Things that we, we see and it, it's not just that we're seeing them. We're kind of like life is flourishing in us as we're beholding them. This is, this is the reason that we tag each other in Instagram memes that we find funny. Because it's like, oh, I want to share that with somebody. This is why we send pictures to one another of, of food that we're eating or places that we're at. We're like, I want to I share this with you. It's why when you hear a beautiful song, you want to hear it again. Has anybody seen Black Panther? No. It's like, when you behold something that good, you want to see it again. You want to see it again? You want me to tell you what happens? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's why when you eat a good meal, you want to talk about how good the food is that you're eating. You want to celebrate with the chef. It's the reason why people drive hours and hours to visit the Grand Canyon. Because it doesn't disappoint. It's It's bigger. And when, when you're there, you're overwhelmed with a hole in the ground. And it's the most glorious hole in the ground that you'll ever be, ever be a part of. You take in something huge and big and overwhelming. Um, when, when the solar eclipse happened, we were beholding glory. I don't know if you guys have ever heard a recording of people watching a solar eclipse happening, but I couldn't play it here. It sounds very inappropriate. <laughs> but that is what happened. When we are beholding something, we're ooing and eyeing, and it's unbelievable, and you're experiencing it. Uh, when, when you're related to a brand new baby, all of a sudden, that's not just an ugly baby like all the other babies. That's a beautiful baby. <laughs> I remember before my, before my first nephew was born, that people were like, oh, you're going to love this baby. And I was like, I don't know. I have yet to find a baby yet that really just does it for me. I mean, it's like kind of misshapen, kind of gross, doesn't really do anything. And then Larkin was born. It was the most incredible baby ever. Because we were, we were made to behold. We were made to be captivated. The way that God designed us is that we were, we were designed to have our attention arrested by glorious things. 
And so what Paul says here is that we are to behold the glory of God. And he uses a phrase with unveiled faces. Really quickly, I just want to kind of uh, breeze over this. It's a, it's a reference to the book of Exodus where Moses uh, beholds the glory of God and, and it makes his face shine. Moses beholds God, God's glory and his face is radiant. And the story is a picture of how looking at God in all of his infinite glory, it affects us. It changes us. We are never the same. God is more glorious than anything else. And therefore, he is worthy of all of our attention. He is worthy of our focus. He is unimaginably worth looking at. And he's so striking that when we do see him, we're changed. If you, if you could see God's face like Moses did, your face would literally glow. God is the ultimate source of glory. He's, he's the glory behind all of the other glories that we get to experience. The total eclipse happened because in the beginning, God said, let there be light. We got to experience glory because God created it. The Grand Canyon exists because that's how God made it. I don't understand it, but it's incredible. It's why when we look at, at people who are, who are made in our image, when we, when we have our own kids, when we have our own family, they're the most beautiful people that we see. God invented the idea of music. He, he invented good art. He invented uh, stories that we love to tell over and over and over again. And all of the glory that we behold, it's meant, to, it's meant to transfer our eyes to himself. All of the glory that we behold, it doesn't just stay wherever, wherever we're beholding it. It actually leads us to the greatest glory, God himself. So in all of the ways that you and I behold glory, these things are telling us what the Bible has been saying for years and years and years. That you and I were made to look at God. You and I were made to look at God. Your soul was created to behold God. Your soul was created to be caught up in him, to be overwhelmed by him. Because all other things pale in comparison to him. Our God, our God is eternal, which means that no one created him. God does not have a beginning. He's uncreated. Our God never changes. He never changes. In all of his virtues, in all of his love, in all of his actions, in all of his commitments and promises, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. And God is all-knowing. He knows everything. He knows every fact about everything. He knows every letter of every word on every page of every book in every language all throughout the world. He knows the thoughts of every single person in this room. He knows the thoughts of every single person outside of this room. 
Before, before we can even think our thoughts, God knows them. He knows them. He knows every single hair that you and I will lose off of the top of our heads for the rest of our lives. He knows the exact moment when we're going to lose that hair. He knows when we're going to be bald. God is infinitely wise. There has never been a situation where God didn't know what to do. Think about that. I mean, how many situations this morning have I been like, well, should I do this or that? I don't know. God's never thought about that. He's infinitely wise. He's never been confused. He's never been unsure as to how to move forward. God has all, of, all authority. Scripture says that our God is in the heavens and he does as he pleases. And you and I can't stop him. He has all authority. And God is so trustworthy that there's not a single promise of his that goes unfulfilled. Every one of his promises are yes and amen in Christ. And he, he's in fact so trustworthy that even if it takes the death of his son, he's going to fulfill his promises. He is trustworthy. And he's infinitely powerful. He, he raises the dead. He walks on water. He heals the sick. He gives sight to the blind. And he does this with a word or with a thought. God, God simply speaks and the world is created. He is Lord over weather. He is war, Lord over movements of the earth. He's Lord over hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes and avalanches. He is Lord over the humidity in Columbia every summer. He's got authority over it. It doesn't happen without him willing it. Our, uh, our church family for the, for the past few years has been connected with some missionaries in India. And uh, we've had the opportunity to Skype with them uh, at some of our staff meetings before and, and hear stories. And um, one of them was telling us a story about an unreached people group in, in the northern part of India that they spent years and years going to and loving and serving. And, and after a few years, one of them became a believer. And then a few more became a believer. And so uh, all of a sudden, after years and years of going to this uh, rural region in northern India, the missionary goes up, and, and this time he plans a Bible study. He's going to start walking through the New Testament with these new Christians. And uh, as he's going through Matthew, he gets to Matthew chapter 8, where uh, Jesus calms a storm. There's a storm that happens, and Jesus calms it. It goes away with his words. And immediately, the missionary who's, who's thinking back to the way that he's always taught this sing, single story, is he asks the question, what, uh, what are the storms in your life that you're looking at, at Jesus to calm? And they just kind of look, look back at him, staring blankly. It's like, uh, what? <laughs> he says, like, you know, like the storms in your life, like, what are the storms in your life that you need Jesus to calm? And they don't get it. 
And so they keep staring. Finally, one of them spoke up and says, are you, are you telling me that Jesus is more powerful than a thunderstorm? That, that Jesus is more powerful than thunder and lightning and with his words, he can make storms stop? Is that what you're saying? And the missionary's like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And all of the new believers just start crying and celebrating and singing in hearing that our God is one who makes storms stop. The wind and the waves, they obey him. Hurricanes listen to him. When he says stop, they go no more. He is sovereign over all countries in the world. He is sovereign He's sovereign over all governments. Thank you, God. <laughs> he is sovereign over all armies. He is sovereign over Russia. He is sovereign over North Korea. He is sovereign over the United States. He is sovereign over military coups. He is sovereign over elections. He is sovereign over media and news and entertainment and sports. God is sovereign over education. Every university, every finding that we found in the past 150 years, God's sovereign over it and he knew about it. He's like, yeah. Glad, that you, glad you finally realized that. I've been, been doing this for eternity. God is sovereign over all businesses. He's sovereign, sovereign over finance and industry and manufacturing. He's sovereign over the internet. There's a, a theologian that, uh, that says there's not one square inch of all of creation that the risen Christ doesn't look at and rightfully say, that's mine. That belongs to me. This is, this is our God. And so going to him with all of our problems means that we're going to the one who can actually do something about our problems. And escaping problems with distraction, it, it solves nothing. God is, God is incorruptibly just. He is perfect in his justice. God will render in due time all accounts in the universe settled, either on the cross or in hell. He's just. And he's patient. He's unthinkably patient. He endures century after century of people who reject him, who rebel him, who ignore him, who mock him, who belittle him. And he's patient so that you and I actually have a chance to repent. God, God doesn't destroy us as soon as we reject him. He's patient. And he's, he's so full of meekness and lowliness and tenderness that, that he stoops to serve lowly sinners like you and me. But he doesn't forget about the outcast. He doesn't forget about the oppressed. He doesn't forget about the poor. He doesn't forget 
about the vulnerable. He's a God from whom we derive every idea of love from. So this idea of love, we get it from him. We know what love is based on his actions. We know what love is based on who he sent to be the propitiation for our sin. So we know what love is not based on our likes or our retweets or how many new friends have followed us. We know what love is based on the cross. And he's the God of grace who redeems sinners and who makes them his daughters and his sons. And what Paul is teaching us is that beholding these things, when we, when we sit and, and look at these things and when we behold them, when we experience their truths, that it changes us. That God, by his spirit, changes us from one degree of glory into another into the image of Christ and the person that God created us to be. The more that we look at God, the more we become like God. The more we look at him, the more we behold him, the more he transforms us more and more into the image that he created us to be. And this is why distraction is such a problem. This is why distraction is such a problem. This is why it is spiritually dangerous because distraction keeps us from all of that. Distraction keeps my mind from thinking all of those things about who God is and what his character, what his character is like. Distraction when, uh, when I'm faced with what seems to be a, a, a terrible road ahead. Distraction keeps me from remembering God's the one who led me, who, who led me thus far. God's the one who's going to continue leading me down this road. When, when distraction, when we're distracted, we can't see the love and the affection that we have from our Father. And, and distraction, it keeps us from obeying God. I've got a couple of verses. Distraction prevents us from obeying God. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-three. I think we've got it up on the screen. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, we are commanded in the Bible to stand in awe of God. When we stand in awe of him, we obey him. When we do not stand in awe of him, we're disobeying him. We are commanded in the scripture to observe and to behold and to stand in awe of him, to, to look at his character and allow him to amaze us. But it's not just one verse. I got another one. Psalm 33, 8. Let all the world fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Let all the inhabitants of the world Stand in awe of him. These are commands from scripture. This is, this is what God is saying to us. How many, how many times have we asked the question, I just want to know what, what does God say about this? What is God saying to me? This is what God says. Stand in awe of me. 
Stand in awe of me. And God tells us to do this because that's how, what we were designed to do. We were made to stand in awe of him. We were made to be enamored by him. And this is why distraction is, is so dangerous. So I want to kind of back up and ask, like, how did we get here? I know for some of us, we have different relationships with, with technology and with screens and with uh, computers and smartphones. But I want us to kind of zoom out and, and look at, at a culture, cultural shift. So when it comes to uh, distraction through technology, I, I still remember some of the ways that it kind of started in me. Uh, I remember being in third grade and coming home after school from after school care, and I saw that uh, my brother was setting up a new computer, and uh, it had Windows 95 on it. I still remember pinball. Like, I thought that pinball game was incredible. And, like, it would make noise, too. Like, I didn't understand, like, not only was I just watching the screen, but, like, there were speakers. It was unbelievable. I remember us getting internet, and I remember hearing what it sounded like to sign on to internet. Now, you still hear it. We have a fax machine in our office, because I guess it's still 1985 in the offices. And so whenever you send a fax, you can hear the same noise. It's kind of, it's like, hmm, I remember that. So I remember getting the internet, and I remember hearing... <clears throat> I remember hearing at school my friends talking about AIM, AOL Instant Messenger. So I went home and I, I like signed in for the first time. And I had to create, I had to create a username. And I was like, "What is my username going to be?" And I grew up in North Carolina and uh, grew up a big Wake Forest basketball fan. And so of course my first username was all four Deeks with the number four. This is like cool and hip. <laughs> you know, you know how I'm cool and hip. You got it. And then I had to make up a password. I was like, I don't know what my password is going to be. And I was like, well, Tim Duncan plays for Wake Forest. So I'll, Tim Duncan is still my password today. Because there's no way I can remember another password. And then I remember getting on to Instant Messenger and uh, signing on. And uh, my friend Kristen had given me her username, which was girl 51 And I remember that. <laughs> Thank you. It's very funny. Thank you. <laughs> I remember like clicking on her name and like typing. I said, hey. And then like a minute later, I got a noise popped up and she said, hey, back. And I was just like, this is incredible. Of all, of all the centuries and centuries and centuries that human beings have existed, we've only, we've only had common access to the internet for about 25 years. Of all the centuries that humans have existed, we've only had the internet commonly for about 25 years. And it, it will go down in history as one of the uh, biggest inventions of all time, most impactful inventions of all time. And we're living the first wave of it. We're the guinea pigs. We're the guinea pigs when it comes to the internet which means we don't exactly know how it's going to affect us yet. Generations and generations and generations after us, they'll see how it's affected us, but you and I, we don't know. We've only had access to smartphones for about 10 years. 10 years. In that short span, it's become the most popular consumer product of all time. It's, it's gained... Uh, normalcy quicker than 
any other thing that's ever become normal. It's such a part of our daily lives that there was a, a survey taken, uh, a scientific survey taken a couple years ago, and 46% of adults surveyed said they could not imagine living without their smartphone. But we were all doing great 10 years ago. And now, we can't even imagine it. Have you ever left your phone at home and like gone out for the day and it's like, what do you say? You feel naked. I feel naked without my phone. It's such a part of me, it's like pants and shirts and a hat. It's like, don't leave home without those things and I don't leave home without my phone. All these things are very, very new and all of them, they've very much changed the way that we spend time and give attention. And then uh, just two years ago, 2016, I mean, it's February, so like a year and a half ago, 2016, Nielsen, which is a national survey people, uh, they took a survey that showed that when, when you include all screens, the average American spends eight hours and 33 minutes a day looking at screens. In 2016, in 2015, it was seven hours. Uh, I'm looking at a screen right now, like, just be honest. I get it. I'm a part of it. Whoops. Five of those hours are spent on television. So that means that we've got a few hours a day on our phones. The even scarier part is that the overall numbers of consumption, they're increasing. Like I said, it's over an hour increase in the past year. And even the most conservative studies still have the average American watching 2.8 hours of TV every day. Children under the age of 11 are about three hours a day. Senior citizens average seven hours a day. A lot of that probably has to do with more of how we treat senior citizens in our society rather than uh, it being so much of a them problem. Another study found that we check our phones an average of 85 times a day. 85 times a day, which means if you sleep eight hours a night, you're checking your phone every 11 minutes. Of those that responded, they were also asked, how often do you think you check your phone? And they said, about 20 to 30 times a day. So we don't even know how it's changing us. We don't even understand what technology is doing to us. Which means that this has become a compulsion for us that we're not even fully aware of. So for Lent, I uninstalled Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I just kind of wanted to like, you know, got to do something big for Lent, right? And it's, in this day and age, it's uninstalling apps for my phone. And on Wednesday alone, the first day, I kept opening up my New York Times crossword app. And I was like, Why, what am I doing? Because when I uninstalled Twitter and Instagram, that was the app that took its place. And so I'm just mindlessly, why is the crossword there? Mindlessly. Our phones have been, uh, they've become our adult pacifiers. We pull them out anytime that we feel discomfort, anytime we feel bored, anytime we feel sad, when you get stopped at a red light, waiting in line. And it's not just that all of our time is being sucked up, as huge as a problem that is, it's also that in doing, thing, in doing these things, it's changing us. 
the things that we do are doing things to us. Our phones, they work on what's called uh, intermittent variable rewards. The technology that's changing us, it's called intermittent, intermittent variable rewards, which means that sometimes you check it and it's got something for you. Sometimes you check it and it doesn't have anything for you. It's the same technology. It's the same, psychologists say it's the exact same thing that uh, the gambling in industry uses to make slot machines more profitable. Sometimes you get something and sometimes you don't. And so it makes you want to check it more and more and more and more. We've, uh, we've got a couple of, of books that we recommend uh, throughout, the, throughout the series that you can find on the website. I want to highlight a couple of things quickly before we end our time. In uh, The TechWise Family, which is a book by Andy Crouch, he has some fascinating insights. One of the things that he says is, while the family used to sit around the table together to enjoy a meal, now the family sits around a TV together to enjoy a meal. So instead of having, to have, instead of having a conversation over dinner, now we just get to watch a conversation. We don't have to participate. And so we lose the ability to have conversations. We're out of practice at having conversations. Today, even, even more distraction and entertainment, uh, there's even more and more of it, which is leading us to feel more and more bored. We have endless options and we can't choose anything. How often, how much time do we spend scrolling through Netflix on what movie to watch than we do actually watching the movie? Uh, there's an, another author who says, television mesmerizes people. It turns them into intellectual spectators. It feeds passivity and makes you less engaged. It's like sugar. It's like sugar, which is a deceitful food. TV is a deceitful presentation of life. And it's captivating us. Andy Crouch says that boredom is actually a critical warning sign. We've got all these options available to us, and yet we find ourselves bored because we're not being entertained all the time. He says it's a critical warning sign that our capacity for wonder and delight, for contemplation and attention, for real play, for fruitful work, our capacity has been dangerously deplete, depleted. In another one of our books, there's a, a story between a professor and a student. The professor has assigned uh, Augustine's Confessions to his class to read. It's a classic uh, Christian work. And the, uh, the student shows up to class and, and says, sorry, professor, I can't read this book. It's way too boring. And the professor responds, no, son, you're too boring. The author of the book then said that when we gaze at the richness of the gospel and the church and we find them dull and uninteresting, it's not because they're hollowed out. It's because we're hollowed out. We don't have any substance. So to be clear, I know, <laughs> let me, not to be clear, let me clearly say technology can have many good uses. 
We're not arguing. We're not saying the challenge this week is to throw away all your screens and don't ever look at a screen again. Technology is a gift from God that has enormous benefits. And we live in a culture, though, where we're using technology way too much. And so it's hard for us to see that we're using technology way too much. And I think that some of us are addicted to distraction. We're addicted to distraction. And it's affecting us more than we realize. It's causing us to not have our faces glow with the glory of God because they're always glowing with the glory of our iPhone. So our challenge this week is every day to go one more hour than you normally do, completely technology-free. This is not an accidental hour. This is not a, oh, I looked down, it's been an hour since I looked at my phone, I guess that counts. This is an intentional, I just, because that's what I would do. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that's what you would do, I'm saying that's what I would do. It's an intentional, planned hour away from technology. Turn off your TV, turn off your phone. My mom didn't even know how to turn off her phone a couple weeks ago. I mean, like, and I'm not making fun of her for technology use because, like, she uses a computer every day. She just, she'd never turned it off before. She didn't know how to turn off her iPhone. Turn off your iPhone. If you don't know how, just Google it. <laughs> turn off the TV and look at God for a little while. Look at what God says about himself in scripture. Have a conversation with a friend. Take a walk outside. Tell, tell stories with one another. Laugh with one another. Pick a passage of scripture and meditate on it. Spend some time praying. Spend some time looking at God. Spend some time looking at things that God created. And if at any point you start getting a little FOMO, you start feeling, ah, what's going on in the world? If you start fearing that you're missing out, remind yourself that you aren't missing, you aren't missing out on a thing any more glorious than the God that you're learning to behold. For some of you, one hour of technology free uh, is not going to be that big of a deal. For others of us, <laughs> you might be feeling some anxiety already. This is, uh, this is an intentional time that we're taking daily where we're investing some of that time into looking at who is the one who created me? What's he like? What is his love for me like? And here's what I hope you'll find. This is, I really mean this. This is what I hope that you'll find in your time this week. I hope that you'll find that there's some things going on in your heart that you wish weren't there. I hope that you'll find that there's thoughts running through your head that you want to be distracted from. I hope that you'll find that there's discomfort, that there's anxiety in being quiet. I hope that you'll be willing to sit with that anxiety. 
There's going to be thoughts about relationships in your life that you wish were different. I hope that you experience that. And I hope that through that you'll see that one aspect of the gospel is that the gospel exposes the truth that my biggest problems aren't outside of me. Your biggest problem as a 21st century Westerner is not technology. Your biggest problem is not a cell phone. My biggest problem is not that I'm addicted to being distracted. It's inside of me. It's not outside of me. Smartphones, video games, Instagram is not my biggest problem. Ryan is my biggest problem. Ryan's sin is my biggest problem. My rebellion against a holy God is my biggest problem. And I, my hope isn't finding freedom from distraction. My hope is looking to the one who has never been distracted from God's glory. My hope is not that I would be distraction-free. My hope is in Jesus, who for one second has never been distracted in the glory of God. And that's freeing truth because, because of that truth. Because Jesus is never distracted in his love for his Father, Jesus is never distracted in his love for me. And Jesus is never distracted in his love for you. Jesus is our hope. Not an hour away, though we think that's good. That's not our hope. Our hope is God's covenant-bound love toward his people. Our hope is the fact that the God has never been distracted from his covenant with you. I'm going to pray. Father, we give you thanks for we give you thanks for the, the way that you love us despite ourselves. Father, we give you thanks for the way that uh, you've created us to behold you, and that when we behold you, then and then alone, Father, are we experiencing the life that you created us to experience? Jesus, I pray that you would help us this week as we enter into time technology-free. Father, that when we do become distracted, we would look, uh, we would look to you who is never distracted from us. And we thank you that you've never been distracted from loving and honoring and worshiping your Father. We ask this all in your name.